so hey, we're in Philemon. So if you have your Bibles, open up there. And we're going to be reading that this morning together. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 7 as Paul's continuing his prayer of thanksgiving towards Philemon. Um, man, what a year it's been, right? 2020. Um, who else has a hard time believing it's September right now? Does anyone feel like, it's like, where did the year go? It's September already. Um, I know there's mixed emotions about everything right now, so when I, I say that I'm excited that sports are back, some of you might be like, yeah, whatever. But I'm excited sports are back in some semblance, right? Uh, I've been waiting all off-season for the Cardinals to start, and uh, it's been a good year so far. Um, you know, but there's something about being an Arizona sports fan when you see someone with a Suns jersey, a Diamondbacks jersey, or Cardinals jersey. You just, there's just this instant connection. I do this with my wife all the time. We'll be walking through a store or something, and I'll see someone with a jersey, and there's just this instant, like, I don't have to know the person's name. I'm like, hey, man, Kyler Murray had a great game last week, right? And he's like, yeah, great game. Don't even ex- exchange names, and we just, it's great. We connect instantly. And then on the opposite side, you see someone with the 49ers, Seahawks, or Dodgers jersey, you know how to pray for them. (laughs) Lord, I pray for their salvation, that you would open their eyes, and they would, no. No, but really, you know, sports, it's funny how that just instantly connects us. But as believers in Jesus, we have an even deeper bond or connection with each other than just sports. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So uh, you might not know any Greek but by the end of this sermon, you will have the words koinonia in your mind. So that's what we're going to be looking at is koinonia. So we're going to be starting in verses, uh, verse 4, and we're going to be looking specifically at verse 6 through 7. Let's read it together. Paul's writing to Philemon, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. A lot of stuff right there, a lot of good stuff to talk about. So the first thing I want to talk about as we start this Koinonia series, sharing of your faith, um, Notice what he says. He says, and I pray. He's continuing his prayer. If you look at verse 4, he says, I remember you, Philemon, in my prayers. I think it'd be easy to look at a guy like Paul and say, well, Paul, you used to do ministry. You used to travel around, do whatever you wanted. You'd be in these great arenas preaching the gospel, but now you're in a house, most likely, or a prison, in chains, locked up next to some guy, right? And you're corresponding with these letters, but really, other than that, you're not doing a whole lot, right? Now, you and I would disagree with that because if he wasn't corresponding with those letters, we wouldn't have our New Testament today. God used it. But an overlooked part of Paul's ministry was his prayer life. Was his prayer life. He is doing ministry. It's prayer. Great man, Pastor Don Engram, who's gone on to be with Jesus. I'll never forget words that he used to say that you've probably heard before. He used to say something like this. He used to say, little prayer, little power, much prayer, much power. And the longer I've lived and known Jesus and done ministry, I've, I've seen the truth of that statement. That when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, he means it. And we're going to see later that, spoiler alert, Paul's prayers actually work. So our prayers, who would have thought, actually work. 
pretty cool thing. So let's not miss that. And what's he praying for? He says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us. Now, some of you might need to hear that again. You're like, wait, that's a little confusing. So let me, let me look at a different translation that looks at the, the same meaning, has the same meaning. Here's what he's saying. I pray, Philemon, the faith that you share with us, talking about believers, that faith we share may deepen your understanding of every blessing that belongs to us in Christ. The sharing of your faith, koinonia, what does that mean? When we hear sharing your faith, we think evangelism, but that's not what this is. The sharing of your faith, he's talking about koinonia. Uh, that's translated as sharing, fellowship, or commonality. Here's how I would define koinonia. It's a common belief that is actively lived alongside others. A common belief that is actively lived alongside others. What does this look like? What does koinonia look like in the early church? I think one of the best places we see it is in Acts 2 with the early believers. Here's what koinonia, here's what fellowship looks like to them. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's koinonia. Now you notice, it wasn't that these people just believed something and then I'm going to go home. It is a life lived together in a very intimate and sacrificial way. And along the way, as they applied the teachings of Jesus to their own lives and corporately, they told others along the way. They shared Jesus with other people. And when those people believed in Jesus, they entered into their koinonia. They entered into their fellowship. Pretty cool. Now, I love this. Um, it says the sharing of your faith or the faith that you share. Um, we kind of come to this dichotomy because on one hand, our faith is private, right? It's private. Uh, August 28th, just this past month, I experienced this with my, my middle daughter, Addie. Uh, my wife and I, we've been sharing the gospel with her. Her older sister, Amelia, has been sharing the gospel with her. And finally, on August 28th, my, my daughter got it. She understood. It clicked. She said, Dad, I see the faith that you have. I want to believe in Jesus, too. And I saw my daughter. I got to lead my, my middle daughter to the Lord on August 28th. And if, if you're a parent or you've been, had the blessing of having that done, that is one of the most amazing things ever to happen, right? Isn't that just so cool? And... That is a personal relationship that my daughter has with Jesus. It's not my relationship, it's her relationship. So it's her faith, but he says, your faith that you share. Now I know in America we're like, sharing, mine, don't tread on me. I get that, right? And I love that about our country. But listen, the faith that you share, here's, here's what Paul's saying. The Christian life was meant to be something that is shared experienced, and announced together, corporately. 
Now let's keep this in mind. We saw what Koinonia looked like with the early church, Jerusalem. Now Paul is writing to the church of Colossae through Philemon, the Colossian church. People were getting saved, so you had people, people didn't grow up in Christian households back then because there was no Christian household. This is all brand new, keep in mind. You have these people with diverse religious backgrounds who are getting saved, coming into this koinonia, coming into this fellowship. You have people of different ethnicities getting saved. You have people of different socioeconomic levels getting saved. I mean, we're going to have to talk about this later. We have Philemon, the slave master, and then we have Onesimus, the slave. That's kind of awkward, right? And then last I checked, they had politics back then. And you have different people of different political spectrums coming in to this koinonia and doing life together. But despite that, we see that they had koinonia, and it was because they had a deeper shared belief that was more important than all of those things. As an example, uh, going back a little bit to 2007, senior in high school, hippie hair Trevor. Um, Flying over to Singapore, thousands of miles away, on a missions trip. I was going to be there a little bit over a month, and I was there for over a month. And I'll never forget flying over, furthest away from home I've ever been, and I'm nervous. I'm missing my family, I'm missing my home church, I'm missing my friends, and I'm just, I'm scared. I'm like, what's it going to be like? And then I met, when we landed, I met Randy. Randy was a believer in Jesus who lived in Singapore. And then Randy took us to this church in Singapore. And those of you that have gone on a missions trip before and had the blessing of worshiping with other believers from different countries, it is the most amazing thing ever. I'll never forget being in that church, hearing songs that were very familiar, not knowing all of the words sometimes, but just feeling, (sighs) I felt at home. Even though I was thousands of miles away, even though I looked different from the people around me, even though we all were from different parts of the world, our commonality was Jesus. So, what's Paul praying about through this koinonia? He prays that the sharing of your faith may become effective for a full knowledge or a fuller knowledge of every good thing. Another way of saying it, I pray that the koinonia, the fellowship, may deepen your understanding of every blessing that belongs to us. And it's like Paul's giving this picture to Philemon. He says, listen, Philemon, you've been doing a great job up till now of allowing koinonia to happen. The fellowship, the commonality, great. Good job. But I'm praying... Don't you love it when people pray things for you? You're like, ah, oh, man. Like sometimes it's like, I'm praying for patience, right? And you're like, yeah, I'll give you patience, right? Paul's praying, I pray that you will soon understand what koinonia, this fellowship, means with others and Jesus in a deeper and more experiential way. In other words, you thought you knew what koinonia was, but I'm praying you're going to come to a deeper understanding of what that actually means, Philemon. And here's the cool part about koinonia. Koinonia simultaneously brings us closer to each other, and it brings us closer to Jesus. Isn't it cool how that works? How God's designed it that way? 
Uh, don't miss the end of verse 6. Why, did, why does Paul do all these things? Why is he praying these things? Is, is it, is it because, because I'm awesome? Because I said so. He says, for the sake of Christ. For the service of Christ. Don't miss that. The reason Paul, the reason Philemon are doing what they're doing is because they do things for Jesus. Jesus is their boss. And they work for him. Let's look at our last verse, 7. Here's what Philemon's life looks like. He says, for I have derived, Paul, I have received not just joy, but I have received much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So as a reminder, Paul is writing from where? Prison, under house arrest, cramped quarters most likely, chained up to some guy, right? Sounds like fun. And yet Paul says, Philemon, you are lifting my spirits. You are comforting me. You are giving me a happiness that isn't uh, dependent upon my present circumstances. I have joy. I have much joy. And why is that? Why does he say that? Well, Paul has comfort and joy because Philemon is loving his fellow believers. Philemon loved people in church. You know what Philemon's name means? The affectionate one. Uh, Some of you guys within your family, you say, hey, that's so-and-so. They're the affectionate one. And then this is so-and-so. They're the not-so-affectionate one, right? Within your family group, right? You have some people like that. Philemon would have been the affectionate one in your family. And how did he show this affection? Well, we know from this book so far that Philemon opened up his home alongside his wife and most likely his son to a large group of people to come barge in on their house and worship Jesus. He opened up his home and he led that group in some regard. And because he had a big house, we can most likely say that he was pretty well off. We also know he was well off, financially speaking, because he was a slave owner. So if if Philemon is the affectionate one, if a widow comes in with her kids and says, hey, we need some financial assistance, you know who would have been the first one up in line? Philemon. He would have talked it over with with his wife and said, you know what, we're going to take care of that. We're going to support her. Christians back then were also thrown in prison a lot. They had to stand before judges. And based off of Philemon's connections within that city, he's most likely providing legal assistance and counsel towards Christians. So he's a pretty cool guy. And as a result of this, Paul says, because of your love for the believers, their hearts were refreshed. Now when he says hearts... He's saying the deepest, realest part of who you are. This is who you are. Cut through all of this outside, exterior stuff. Let me get to the heart of who you are. I want to know who you are. And it wasn't that he found out who you were and then he grabbed your heart and he yanked it out of your chest for everyone to see. Like, ha ha, no. He says, when I reach that level of intimacy, of getting to know you, I'm going to bring refreshment to your heart. And the idea is this, if you have been working outside the past couple months in this lovely weather, you're thinking a couple things after a while. One, why do I live here? Two, 
I need to get some refreshment. I need to get out of this sun. And so you step out of mowing the lawn and you step into the shade and you get instantly five degrees cooler just from the shade, right? It's not much, but it's five degrees. And then if you're like me, you have some ice cold water, you have some Gatorade, you have some lemonade. And when you drink that, it just, oh, all right. Now you gotta be careful, right? Because if you stay there too long, the lawn's not gonna get mowed and then you're in pro you've got problems with your spouse, right? That's not good either. But the idea is refreshment. That is what Philemon did for these believers. I get the idea that Philemon was a guy that people gravitated towards because he listened to them, he tangibly showed that he cared, he didn't just say that he cared. And when you heard him speak, when you hung out with him, I imagine that once he got to know you, you just felt, man, man, I feel good right now. He's lifting my spirits. And when you left being with him, talking with him, you felt like you could take on the world that day. You know what? I can get through today. It's going to be okay. Let's Philemon. I hope you have people like that in your life. I know I do. Let's go back to what he said, praying for a fuller knowledge, a deeper knowledge. This is what Paul's praying for. How do we best grow as believers? When things are going well? As we plan? For me, no. It's when we're going through trials. It's when we're going through challenges. And what Paul is telling Philemon is, Philemon, this koinonia that you have, it is about to be challenged. You got a big moment coming, Philemon. Because Philemon is going to meet not runaway slave Onesimus. When Onesimus comes back, who's he going to be meeting? Brother Onesimus. Because Onesimus, when he ran away, just so happened to meet Paul, who also led Philemon to the Lord, led Onesimus to the Lord. Onesimus is now a brother. And this brother in Christ is now coming back for reconciliation. And Philemon might be wondering, I know I'm the affectionate one, but you got to be kidding me. Because let's remember, in that culture, Philemon had a legal right to punish this runaway slave. He even had a legal right to potentially kill Onesimus, this runaway slave. Here's where koinonia gets a little bit messy. If koinonia, if church gathering was just us, easy. But koinonia requires other people to be in your life. And when other people are in your life, you realize it's easy to love people that believe everything that you believe. It's easy. My guess is if we were to survey this room based off of current climate of our country, our world, my guess is, is although most of us would have commonality in Christ, we'd have different opinions of different issues across this nation. 
Interesting. Tertullian, he's an early Christian author. He, he, uh, he wrote early on that the Roman Empire was suspicious. They didn't trust these Christians. And the emperor said, we need to dispatch spies into this koinonia. We need to dispatch spies into this gathering of Christians. And we need to spy them out for a little bit. And we need to find out what they're about and what they do. And then I want you to report back to me and tell me what they do. So the spies come back to the Roman Empire. You want to hear what they said? First thing, right out of the gate. These Christians are very strange people. Can I get an amen, right? Strange people, right? Now, picture this. Again, like picture no, like not growing up in church, no religious background. So picture this. They speak of one by the name of Jesus who's absent. So it's We're all here this morning because of Jesus. Is he here? Mm -hmm. Okay. Physically, most people would be like, no, he's not here, right? Physically, no, he's not here. You bunch of weirdos, right? But here, they speak of one by the name of Jesus who is absent, but whom they seem to be expecting at any time. It's like the reverse surprise party. You're all waiting together, but he's going to surprise you. Here's the last thing they said. And my, how they love him. And how they love one another. If spies came to our church, were among us for a time, were among us for a season, My hope and prayer is that this could be said of us. Amen? Amen. A couple closing thoughts. Let's not miss this. Prayer works. Prayer is powerful. It's not just some throw it up and let's see what happens. No, prayer works. When we pray according to his will. You know, we're praying right now for, you know, we mentioned this event that's happening, praying for our nation. Prayer works. We're praying for the future of our church right now, what, to, what God would have for us. We're praying for our election coming up in November. We're praying for our church plant that we're launching in January. This isn't, and we're asking our church once a week to fast and pray. This isn't just some, we need to have them do something once a week. Maybe we should just have them fast and pray. I, I don't know. What do you, no. Fasting and prayer works. And Paul had to get really creative, if you want to say it, during this new season of ministry. I want to look right into the camera and look at people who are watching online. You have had to get really creative these past couple months. Of what what does ministry look like for me? Because the capacity I used to serve, I, I can't do that anymore. I'm prevented just like Paul from coming here. And we understand that. But here's what I would say. Prayer is a ministry. Prayer is a ministry. Don't think that your prayers are not a ministry because they are so important and they are so needed. We covet your prayers as a church. The people around you covet your prayers. Prayer is a ministry. Secondly, we need to ask ourselves this morning, what does koinonia look like in our lives? 
I'm looking at the camera again. Some of you feel like you've been under house arrest the past couple months, just like Paul. You understand this. And I think there's a temptation within our situation to wish that things could go back the way that they were. And same like Paul, wishing things could go back the way they were, but the reality is they couldn't. And maybe that's your situation. You are prevented from being here with our fellowship right now. But here's what I would say. What does koinonia look like in your life? Is there someone that you can welcome into your home? You can have that social distance. Uh, You can share life together. You can pray for each other. I would say, is there an online connect group that you can be a part of? Can you do an online Bible study for the men or the women? But what does koinonia look like in your life? For those of us that are gathered right here, I think it's easy for us to be like, I'm good. Gathering, got it, got it. If, if hanging out together in a, in a room is koinonia, then that's no different than going to a football game watching the Cardinals play. Right? It's no different. But our commonality is Christ. And it's meant for our faith not to be private, but to be shared authentically with other believers around us. This is why we talk about connect groups. This is why we say be part of a group that people can get to know you. People can pray for you. People can support you. We see this with the early church. One of the best ways to be part of a koinonia, part of a group, is to serve together. Serving alongside each other. Our children's ministry right now, we need some help. I don't know where Pastor Dan is. I don't know if Angie's in here either. Okay. Well, well they were, if they were here, they would come up and say, yes, we will take some help. They would love for you to help and serve in any capacity that you can. And as you serve, you become even more so part of the koinonia. But there's several places to serve within our church, so be looking for those. This one was convicting to me. Do you bring refreshment to believers around you? Ouch. And I'll ask it this way. Spiritually speaking... Are you an ice-cold cup of lemonade on a triple-digit day after mowing the lawn? Or are you boiling hot, two-day-old, microwaved coffee? Not very refreshing, right? And listen, no one wants to be that person. No one wants to be the person when you come around the corner, they're just like, what now, right? No one wants to be that person, right? I don't want to be that person. You don't want to be that person. We need to be refreshing to each other. And refresh refresh people to encourage them and be like, all right, I can get back out in the world now. We need that. Here's the reward of koinonia. Koinonia is rewarding. We're going to close with this. We have a God-given opportunity, Desert Springs, to understand and experience koinonia at a deeper, more meaningful, experiential level with each other right now. I think these past couple months, 
of us being apart from each other, we've understood even more so how much we need each other. Am I right? We need each other. In that, as we're regathering, I think we're simultaneously realizing how messy, complicated this whole koinonia thing can be, right? We have a lot of important, I'm not trying to dismiss all of these things, we have a lot of important issues that we need to work through together as a family. We need to talk about it. We can't dodge these issues. We can't create superficial community. I'm fine, you're fine, we're all fine, right? No, that's superficial. We can't be surprised or afraid when disagreement happens. But we cannot, we cannot lose sight of who we are and whose we are. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And his blood, his blood runs deeper than our political affiliations. It runs deeper than our skin color. It runs deeper than our opinions, our preferences, our salary, whatever. His blood runs deeper than all of those things. We have a God-given opportunity to understand Jesus at a deeper level through our relationships with each other. I don't know about you guys, past couple months, I've learned a lot about Jesus' love. I've learned a lot about his forgiveness. I've learned a lot about his grace. Because I need it every day. Just like believers in Colossae are about to witness this exchange happen between Onesimus and Philemon, how he handles this opportunity. We have an opportunity to show each other and our world that is watching what love looks like. Desert Springs, I've got some bad news. 2020 isn't over. 2020 is not over. (laughs) I wish I could fast forward these next couple months, right? But it isn't over. We don't know what's coming. We know who's coming. We know who's coming. But we don't know what's coming. For all we know, 2021 could be even worse. I'm not praying for that. But 2021, for all we know, could be even worse than 2020. God might be looking at us right now and be like, you think 2020 is bad, right? We don't know. But we need to stand united as a body in the midst of crisis. Now here's something interesting that I found out this week studying. We know that Philemon was written between 57 and 59 AD. You know why we know that? Because in 60 AD, geologists say that a massive cataclysmic earthquake happened within that region, devastated that region, which is now modern-day Turkey, destroyed the, the town of Colossae, destroyed it. High death counts. Refugees, people scattered everywhere. 
And as I was keeping that in mind of what we are looking at right now in our study to just maybe a year or so later, it made me think, how did this situation that we're reading about of Philemon and Onesimus prepare the church for that moment? We need to be prepared. We need to be united. And look to his coming. Close with this. It's our benediction as our prayer. Paul writing to the church of Colossae. It's Colossians 3, 12 through 17. And may this be our prayer as a church, as one body this morning. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him.